You are listening to a New Season Church audio sermon. Prepare your heart to hear a word from God. Over the last few weeks, I've been talking about do unto others, and we've been talking about honor. Honoring people, honoring God, first of all, and that there's a, there's a reward to honor. There's a reward to honor. And when we honor God, there is, there is a reward to it. Uh, 1 Samuel, I think 2.30, I don't have it up, but we, that's been our baseline scripture where God says, if you honor me, I'll honor you. If you despise me, I will disdain you. So in essence, God is saying, look, if you're going to honor me, I'm going to take note of you. I'm going to take notice of you and I'm going to honor you. I'm going to regard you. But if you don't honor me, if you, if you disregard me, if you treat me as just another thing, then I'm going to disregard you. Does God still love you? Absolutely. But the fact that God loves you doesn't mean that we can walk around and we can live our lives any way we want to and still, still expect the blessings of godly principles if we were to apply it in our lives. So 1 Samuel 2.30, it's very simple. If you honor God, He will honor you. If you, dis, if you disregard him or despise him, he will dis, disdain you. The word disdain refers to the, the term really means to disregard or to not really take notice of. And I don't know about you, but I don't want God not to take notice of me. I want God to take notice of me. I, I want God to be involved in my life. Because I know that God uh, is, is it's better when God is involved in my life as opposed to when I try to do things on my own. Right? I've tried to do things on my own. It doesn't end well. Whenever God is involved, it doesn't mean that my life is perfect. But whenever, whenever God is involved in my life and God gets involved in the affairs of my life, then stuff starts to happen and there's good fruit that is produced. Is it perfect all the time? No, it's not. But I'd rather have a life filled with God than a life without God. Right? So even though my life with God isn't perfect, I can tell you for a fact, it's going to be nowhere clear, close to being perfect without Him. So I want to make sure that I'm living in a state where God regards me and that God sees me and God is involved in my life. Uh, and so that's been a baseline scripture, but the, the scripture I've been referring to over the last three weeks has been Matthew 10, 40 to 42. And it says, whoever receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. What does that mean? It says, when he who honors you, he's talking to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, says, look, whoever, I'm sending you out, and then whoever honors you honors me. And he who honors me receives him who sent me. So God, in essence, Jesus is saying, look, if anyone comes across your path that is being sent by me, that is a spokesman for, for, for me, that is preaching the word of God to him, you need to honor that person. Why? Because when you honor him, you receive me as Jesus. And then when you receive me as Jesus, what do you do? You receive the one who sent me, which is God. Uh, next verse, it says, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Next one. And, he, and whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So that scripture is really talking about three different levels that we engage with people on a day-to-day -day basis and the three different levels by which we give honor. 
So we give honor to those that are in authority, prophet. So prophet is in essence a spokesperson for God. And in the Old Testament, it would be the prophets. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, it would in essence be the church leadership, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, anyone that is speaking the word of God to you, that is, that is strengthening you, that is enabling you to walk in a greater fullness of the knowledge of God. The word tells us if you honor that person, you'll receive that person's reward. Then he says, if you honor a righteous man, that's on your level, your peers. So there's a different way that you honor people that are leaders and a different way that you honor that are peers. I spoke about that last week, right? Honors, uh, the leaders have a different responsibility to your life and peers have a different responsibility. And you honor them in different ways. But in both ways, in the way that you honor them, you receive an honor or receive a reward through that. And this morning, what I want to cover is the last part is those that are under our authority, right? So we honor those that are under our authority. Next, uh, next slide, I think. Yes, so this morning I want to talk about the three, the little ones, and those are the ones that are under our authority. Those entrusted to us through delegated authority. I spoke about delegated authority last week and I said, listen, you in your workplace, the only reason why you have authority is because somebody gave you authority. I can't walk into your workplace and just say, hey, I'm here. Right? You think I'm crazy. And then I start giving people instructions. They're going to be like, who is this person? Why? Because I have no authority that's been delegated to me. You, you have authority in your workplace through delegated authority. And in the world, you have, you have delegated authority by God. Those people that have been entrusted to you, you have authority over them through what we call delegated authority. You can only have authority if you are under authority. And so, as, 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 as believers, yes, we have certain authority in the, in, the, in the spiritual world as well, but only because we are under authority. I find it very interesting how people that are not connected to a church or a body struggle through life and they're over, trying to overcome things in their life. They know the Word. They love God. God loves them, but for some reason, things just don't seem to flow. And why is that? Because they're not under authority. Now, authority doesn't mean control. Authority, in essence, just means covering, right? Because a leader's responsibility to you is different to you or that, that you have as a peer. I spoke to you last week. But the responsibility of a leader is to challenge you. It's to instruct you. It's to, in, it's to uh, uh, what are a couple of things? Challenge you, instruct you, call you to a higher place, challenge you to break your cycles, instruct you in righteousness, Okay, that's the responsibility of a leader. And so when you're under authority and it's not control, it just means that you are sitting under somebody that's speaking into your life and you're allowing that person to speak into your life and change, change your heart. If you do not have that, you're going to find it very difficult or very challenging to actually have authority in other areas of your life. It just works like that. In order to have authority in your life, you must be under authority. And if you choose to separate yourself from the body of Christ, then it's the same way as cutting off a hand. The body will function, but the hand will wither away. Why? There's no life, there's no blood flowing through, through to that hand. In the same way, when we start to isolate ourselves and remove ourselves from the body of Christ and the, the local body that God has placed you in, you remove the life that flows into your life. And stuff just doesn't work out as well as what it should. Okay? Are you cursed? No. It's just the principle of God and it's the principle of the kingdom. 
And in the same way, when you have little ones that are entrusted with you, when we talk about little ones, we're not necessarily talking about natural children, even though that is one of the things that God does entrust you with. When we talk about little ones, we're talking about children in the spirit or people that are a little bit further behind you in your journey. And so God says you have authority over those people. It can also work in a, in a, in a, in a, in a job context. If you have a business and there are people that are in that you are an authority over, right? You are their supervisor, you are the employer, you have a responsibility to honor them. Okay. Why? Because God calls us to honor on three different levels. The honor is not only upward. Honor is sideways and downward as well. You can honor your, your subordinates. You can honor people that are on a lower level than you. You can honor your kids. That, for some people, that will blow their minds, how, how to honor their children. There is a way to honor your children, right? Doesn't, you know, and it doesn't mean that your children now have you wrapped around the pinky and the, you have no instruction towards them. No, actually, when you instruct your children and you discipline your children, you're actually honoring them, right? So you need to understand that there is a level that you need to honor underneath you. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. So those that are entrusted to us. But here's the thing. Oftentimes, the little ones, the, 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 the people that God has entrusted into, to us, those people that you're helping along the journey, walking with God, they are been mistreated and abused by those in authority. Is it a new thing? No. Right? Is there places, and a lot of people have been in churches and so on where the authority has been abused. Sometimes it is abuse, sometimes it's offense. And I'll never make a pronouncement on anybody uh, without knowing the full story. But the fact of the matter is, yes, sometimes there is abuse. There is abuse in, in relationships of authority. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about us having to understand that those people that God has entrusted to us, He delegates authority. But He, he, he is love and, the, and He delegates authority for the purpose of love and protection. God delegates authority for the purpose of love and protection, not control. Okay? God, the authority that God gives us to have authority over people in any context, whether it's a church context, whether it's in your family, it's for what? It's for love and protection. It is not for control. You, you have authority over your children because you love them and you want to protect them. It's not to control them. Sometimes they will think it's control. It's okay. Who who has a dog? Who has a dog? Anybody here have a dog? Okay, you have a dog. Okay, right? Do you do you just open the gates for them and let them run out? But I thought you love them. Why don't you just do whatever you the dog wants to do? <laughs> right. We, we, we love our, if you have a dog, you, lo you love your dog, don't you? That's what, I mean, it's, it's man's best friend, isn't it, right? So why, why don't you just open the gate and let them run around into the street? Why? Because they'll probably get hurt. But you love them, right? So let them do whatever they want. You see, you have authority over your dog. Why? If it's for love and protection. You love the dog. You want to spend time with the dog. It's good for you that, that the dog uh, stays in certain parameters. If you allow, now imagine you allow, allow open, the, open the gate and the dog runs out and someone says to you, but why don't you close the gate? No, I love the dog. I just let them do whatever they want. 
See, we understand in that context, but for some reason when we bring it into our own context, we think that God wants to control us, or we think that people want to control us that are actually just there to love us and protect us. And you have authority over people if you are in a place of authority in your life anyway, whether in your family or in your workplace, the authority has been given to you for love and protection. How can I love my employees? Well, you should. Love means commitment. Not necessarily that you're going to have tea with them every single afternoon. Right? You with me? Okay. See, if the authority is used to abuse or take advantage or harm in any way, it is a direct affront to God. If our authority and the authority that we have in any kind of relationship is used to abuse or to control, or take advantage of, or harm in any way, it's actually an affront to God. It's actually, that is what makes God fairly angry. Because He has given you and I authority, not for the sake of, of promoting ourselves, not for the, for the sake of having an advantage over somebody. It's given for love and protection. Why? Because you have a responsibility to bring that person up, whether it's in the natural as a child or in the spiritual, you have a responsibility to bring that person further than what you found them. It's actually our heart when we are leading people is that they should be going further than we are. That is actually the sign of whether we are leading somebody or not. Are they progressing further than where you are? It's actually a point of pride for, for someone that it's actually leading and has the right heart in leading. Matthew 25, 4 says, And the king will answer them, Assuredly I say to you, Inasmuch as you did to one of these, of the least of my brethren, you did to me. Surely I say to you, Inasmuch as you did to the least of these, what is it? The little ones, the ones that you're leading, the ones that are under your authority, the ones that you have delegated authority over. Whatever you do to them, the Bible says that you do to God. And so the, the very honor that you're showing to people that are under your authority, you're showing to God. You're honoring God. Because whatever you do to the little ones, the Bible says that you do to me. Any one of my brethren, anyone, anybody that is in the, in the context of the kingdom or any context that you have authority over people, when you are showing honor to them, you are actually honoring God. How we treat those under us is how we treat Jesus. How we treat those under us is how we treat Jesus. That's what that, bio, that's what that verse said. How, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And so those people that are under your authority, how well are we treating them? How much honor are we giving to them? How, how, how are we making them progress? Because the way we treat them is the way we treat Jesus. So consider this. Consider this with the way you're treating your children, the way you're treating your spouse, the way you're treating your employees, the way you're treating your subordinates. Because what, the way you're treating them is the way you're actually treating Jesus. Because the very reason why you have authority is because God get, delegated that authority to you. Even if it's in a work context. Or you think it was your, your boss that gave you the authority. No, but the Bible says that everything we have comes from Him anyway. So the job that you're in, the, the, the family that you're in, all of those things, they come from God. And so if you have a certain level of influence, well, guess what? Who gave it to you? God gave it to you. And God is looking how you're using that authority. Because in the same way that you treat those ones under you, you're treating Him. 
the way you treat those under you, treat Jesus. That's why it's so important to use your influence to affect people for the better. That's why it's so important that in whatever context that you have influence in, you're actually making a difference in those people's lives. Because the way you honor them and the way you honor people that are underneath you is you make a difference in their lives. You, you grow them. You treat them with respect. You don't abuse them. You don't take advantage of them. When they ask you a question, you respond. Remember I spoke about responsiveness in the first week. That replies in all directions. See, some very, very simple, practical ways that we honor. So 2 Corinthians 10, 8, uh, Message Bible says, Believe me, I am quite sure of my standing with Christ. This is Paul speaking. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 8. Yeah, I think I did it from the message, but you may, okay, this is from the, the, I think, New Living. You may think I overstate the authority He gave me, but I'm not backing off. Every bit of my commitment is for the purpose of building you up. After all, not tearing you down. When God has given us authorities for that, that's why it's highlighted. My commitment is for what? For the purpose of building you up. And so when someone says, I am an authority over somebody, it's a two-way street. Yes, we honor those that are in authority over us, but those that, are in, that we are in authority over, we need to honor them. Why? Because the purpose is for building them up, not for controlling. Now, some people might think it's for controlling when you, when you put some parameters around and some principle to say, don't do this, don't do that, do this, rather do that. You understand this in the context of your dog. You understand this in the context of your child as well. Why don't you open the gate and let them run into the street? Because you want to protect them, right? You want to love them. You want to build them up. And so you will put some certain parameters around. You will put some certain uh, um, fencing around those people that you love. Why? It's for the purpose of building them up. If you're not building the people that God has given you delegated authority over, then guess what? You got, you're not using what God has given you. You're not using the authority that God has given you. Because it's about honor. And when you honor those, the Bible says, when you honor those that are least, the, the ones that you have authority over, you honor God. Right? Because the way we treat those, we treat, we treat those that are under us. That's the way we treat Jesus. Our heart should burn for those that are entrusted to us to prosper. Our heart should burn for those that are entrusted to us to prosper. We should be seeing those people that God has entrusted to us excelling and we should it should burn within our hearts to see those that God has entrusted to us to excel we do not want to control we do not want to put down we want to do what we want to build them up the message bible of of, of the, the translation says this believe me I'm quite sure of my standing with Christ you may think that I overstayed the authority gave me but I'm not backing off every bit of my commitment is for the purpose of building you up not tearing you down Ultimately, if God places under us, if, if the people that God places under our authority don't need anything from us, then why would He place them under authority? If, God, if the people God places underneath us don't need anything from us, then why do we have authority over them? Why has God placed them under authority? You see, you need to understand that the, the people that you, God has placed you under the authority, you need something from them. You need something from them. 
But in the same way, the people that God has placed under your authority, underneath you, they, are, they need something from you. God has placed something on the inside of you that they need. That is how the kingdom works. That is how the kingdom is perpetuated. That is how the kingdom grows. That is how people grow. People don't grow by sitting at home without any intentionality from those that God has placed in authority over them. So God has placed you in a, in a place of influence. That's why I say make a difference. That's really the heart of it. Find God, discover purpose, make a difference. You have influence in your life to do something. You, your purpose is tied to that. You have a purpose no matter how, how far you think you've gone. You have a purpose. God has placed you here for a reason. What that is, reason is, you need to figure out. There's a very specific thing that God has called you to, and we call that a divine assignment. But it's not for yourself. It's not so that you can be built up. No, it's so that the people that God has placed under authority or the people that you have influence over, you can build up. That is how you honor those people. You honor those people by building them up. So how are you building your children up? How are you building up your spouse? How are you building up your employees? How are you building up your neighbor? How are you building up that person that God has given you authority over? And how do you know you have authority over them? Not You don't have authority over them. You don't control them. But you are a bit further along in, in the journey than they are. And so how are you using that influence? How are you using the things that you're learning and the things that God is teaching you Sunday in, Sunday out to influence the people that God has entrusted to you. Because that's the point. That's the point. Our, when we learn and when we gain understanding and knowledge, when we find God and come into a deeper relationship with, with Him, it's not so that we can say, wow, look at me. Oh, this is so wonderful that I can just come to God any single time. And you know, My life with God is so great. That is part of it and you need to have that first. But it's for a purpose. It's so that you can do the same thing to those that God has placed in your, in your midst and given you influence over. And so unless the people that are under your authority need something from you, then there's no point in them being there. And that's the mentality that we need to have every single time. That we come into contact with anybody. What can I give to this person? How do I honor this person? How do I build this person up? 1 Peter 5, 1, 2, 3 says, I think it's from the Amplified, and it says, To the elders among you appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Now this is speaking, yes, to elders as well. So people in church authority, he says, look, you need to be you need to tend to the people that I've given you. But it, it's in the same context of people that you're discipling. People that you're walking a road with. It says what? Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Next verse. Not lording it over those. Don't lord it over them. Don't control. In essence, don't be controlling those entrusted to you, but be examples as to the flock. And I put that in the amplified. It's, is the amplified up? I might, it might be. I don't know. 
Things are a little bit funny this morning. But it says here, I warn and counsel the elders among you, the pastors and the spiritual guides of the church, as fellow elder and as a witness, called to testify of the suffering of Christ, as well as the sharer in the glory. Tend, nurture, guide, guard, and fold the flock of God. That is your responsibility. He's speaking to you and to me, both of us. So because any of us can be, in a certain way, spiritual guides to anybody else. That's called discipleship. You are at a certain point in your journey and you're taking somebody that is a, is a bit further behind you and you're bringing them up. What are you doing? You're discipling them. You're making a difference in their life. So you're shepherding them in a certain area. And it says here, what is the context of shepherding? Well, you need to nurture. You need to guard. You need to guide and to fold. What? That thing which is your responsibility. Not by coercion or constraint. Don't control. Don't coerce them. What, how would coercion look? Well, unless you do this, you're going to hell. That's control. I've heard, I've heard in, in churches, big churches, where they say, well, unless you tithe, you're going to hell. Because there's a curse. It's not true. Okay? If you can show me anywhere in the, in the New Testament under the New Covenant of Christ Jesus that that is true, I'll be glad to have a discussion with you. That's coercion. That's control. We need to understand that the only one that can really have control in anybody's life is the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to speak life into people. Our responsibility is to guide them. It's to, it's, it's to guard them. It's to tend to them. It's to nurture them. But it's not to coerce them. It's not to uh, constrain them. It says, not by coercion or by constraint, but willingly, not dishonorably motivated by the advantages and profits of belonging to the, to the office. Not domineering as arrogant, dictatorial, or overbearing persons. This is not a dictatorship. This is the kingdom. Is there a king? Yes. That's what's called the kingdom. And the king should be obeyed, but it's not a dictatorship. You see, and I've said this to you before, even though I can speak into your life on a Sunday morning, I can't control you. You're still going to do whatever it is that you're going to do. Now, I hope that you would listen to what I'm saying from the Word of God, because in that way, what are you doing? You're honoring the prophet that God has sent into your life, and there's a reward to that. But I can't. I'm not a policeman. I'm not here to control anybody. My heart breaks for people that are not walking in the truth of the, truth of the Word. But at the end of the day, it's all our own responsibility. You, the Bible says that you are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's your responsibility. At a certain point, we need to understand that we have our own responsibility and our own progress and our own walking the purpose of God and our walking the blessing of God is whose responsibility? Our own. And so I cannot get up here and control. And to be honest, I don't have the time for that. Neither do you. You don't have the time to control anybody. You have the time to nurture God and, 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 and encourage them and build them up. But th this is not a dictatorship. The kingdom is what? A kingdom of love. The kingdom of God is characterized by love, not control. How do I know that? Well, look at what is it? 1, 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't control. Love is not overbearing. It's not, it's not a dictatorship. It's not arrogant. So we, when, we, when, we, when we are leading people, we don't want to be domineering. 
Yes, we'll get frustrated. Absolutely, you're going to get frustrated because your heart is for the people. Your heart is for that person. But it's never supposed to be out of arrogance or domineering. It's not supposed to be uh, overbearing. He says, but be examples, patterns and models of Christian living to the flock. It says you must be a pattern and a model to the Christians, those that God has given instruction to. Now, if they're not Christian, even the better. Those people that are maybe your employees or, or, or subordinates, if you're a supervisor at your work, guess what? You have influence over people and you don't even realize it. And your influence is not to make them you know, necessarily only do their work properly. Yes, you should because it's good for them. But you should be using your influence to impact them for the kingdom. Not control them, not be domineering, but nurture them and guide them and fold them. So our leadership can either be life-enhancing or life-draining. That's in essence what that scripture says. The way we lead people can either enhance their life or drain their life. What's the difference? Well, the way you lead them. Are you domineering? Are you arrogant? Are you controlling? That's going to drain people. But if you're encouraging and you're nurturing and, you, and, you, and you're uplifting them, if you're guarding them, if you're guiding them, that's going to enhance their life. And it must, you must understand that it's from a point of love and it's a point of grace. Sometimes, and here's the thing, Jesus said, Jesus came with grace and truth. You can't separate the one from the other. So you must have grace over people, but you can't exclude the truth. Otherwise, you're flaky. Right? Otherwise, everything is just fine. We'll just have grace on you. You see, we, we, we do a disservice to people when we only have grace for them, but we have no truth for them. But on the other hand, if we only have truth and no grace, then we become domineering. If we come and say, well, you have to do this, otherwise, one, two, three, four, there's no grace there. So you must have the same balance. Jesus said, I come with grace. He came with grace first, but He never, he never glossed over the truth. He was so serious about the truth of the kingdom that he walked into the temple and started overturning, overturning the tables. He was a radical. I mean, if Jesus came to do that now, we'd kick him out of the church. Right? Because he was such a radical to the, to the status quo. But he came with grace, but he came with truth as well. He didn't come with truth only because we understand that when the, when the, when the woman uh, caught in adultery came, what did he first do? He said he had grace. He said, okay, those of you that want to stone her, who's without sin first? What was that grace? So there was grace first, but he didn't say to her, okay, well, it's fine. You're forgiven. Go keep doing whatever you're doing. No, he says, I have grace for you. So your sin, oh, those, those, uh, those do not excuse, uh, accuse you. I do not accuse you either. However, then he started to speak truth to her. He said, yes, actually, the one that you're with is not your husband. You actually have five other ones that you're, you know, <clears throat> having fun with. He says, go and sin no more. What did, we, what did he do? He gave truth. And it's the same thing with us. Those people that we are leading, they can either be life-enhancing or life-draining. If you only come with truth and no grace, it's going to drain people. But if you only come with grace and no truth, you're actually doing a disservice to them because you're not equipping them, because you're supposed to be enhancing their life. And it is the truth, you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You must have truth to people, but truth must be spoken in grace. And sometimes you're going to have to be a little bit harsher and sometimes a little bit softer because you need to move people beyond where they are. So how are you enhancing people's lives? 
I'll tell you, most of the time what we do is say, ah, it's fine, leave them. We're actually draining them. Because we're not, in, we're not, we're not, we're not um, purposeful with building them up. Now on the other hand, you as a follower can either be enhancing or you can be draining. Because <laughs> the Bible even speaks about how we are to follow. He says, in, in, paraphrase, make sure that you are not a burden to those that are leading you. Make sure that they lead you with enthusiasm. Why? Because you can also drain the people that are leading you. Some people you've been walking with for two years, they're still not listening to what you're saying. And I find it so interesting. Well, they say to you, no, you're right. You'll have a conversation, Paul, with someone, and they'll say, to you, you're right, Paul. Absolutely, I hear you. No, man, yeah, you're right. And then, they still go do what they, what they were doing beforehand. That can be draining. Do we give up? No, we carry on. We pray for them. We still encourage them, you know, but it can be draining. So our, our, our leadership can, can either be life enhancing or draining. 3 John 1, 3 to 4 says, and this is the heart that we need to have with the people that we are leading. I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. Next verse. For I have no greater joy, watch this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That is our heart. That, that should be the heart of any leader, anybody that is leading other people. That should be the, lead, that should be the heart of a pastor. It should be the heart of you as, as you're discipling somebody. That you have no greater joy than to hear your children. We're not talking about natural children only. We're talking about spiritual children, those people that you're leading. God has given you, assigned you certain spiritual children, people that you're leading in the things of God. And it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my spiritual children are doing what? Not getting a new car, not getting a new house, not getting a new job. All of those things are great. But the greatest joy that you should have of somebody that you're leading is that they're walking in the truth. Because if they're walking in the truth, the truth will set them free. And the truth will enable them to walk in a greater amount of blessing or prosperity or whatever it is. But it's not about that. It's about them walking in the truth. My greatest you know, joy as, as a pastor is to see people walking in the truth, is to see people being transformed by the truth of God's Word and see their growth and see how a year ago they were here, now they're there. And, and just see the things that are coming out of their mouths. Why? Because they're growing. Otherwise, why are we doing this? Unless I'm here to enhance your life, then why are we here? To walk in truth is to both know and serve God. Good leaders will stress relationship with God. Good leaders will stress relationship. Why? Because it is within the relationship that you find understanding of the word truth of God. It is in the relationship that you start to walk in the fullness of God. It is in the relationship that you start to understand who you are and who, whose you are. Good leaders, and as good leaders, we should be stressing relationship with God. So why do I keep talking to you about being a leader? Well, the moment you got saved, welcome, congratulations, you are now a leader. The moment you say, oh, okay, I'm part of God's family, you became a leader. Why? Because God is looking to you to make a difference in people's lives, and you are a leader 
yourself. So congratulations, you just became a leader if you didn't already know it. So why am I talking to you about being good leaders? Is about because that's actually what you called for. You called to lead yourself first, then you called to lead the people that are in your immediate vicinity, your family, and then you called to people, lead people that are outside of your immediate vicinity. You are a leader whether you realize it or not. And a good leader will stress relationship with God. So who's the first person that you lead? Yourself. So what should you be stressing with yourself first? Relationship with God. And then with your family. Those that God has given you influence over. That's the second inf uh, sphere of influence that you have. You should be stressing relationship with God. And then the outside. Right? Your neighborhood. Your, your workplace. Your extended family, a good leader will, will stress relationship. Why? Because to walk with in, with in truth is to both know God and serve God. The honoring leader's goal is to see the little ones walk in truth and go further. They want them to surpass their success. Your goal is to have people that are surpassing your success. I've always said this, if you leave a work, uh, any kind of responsibility, whether it's in the church or whether it's in a workplace, and you leave that place and that place is worse off than, than when you were there, you didn't do a good job. What do you mean? See, all of us, because we want to be, you know, we want to uh, be recognized, all of us want to say, yeah, when I leave, that place will fall apart. Isn't it? Most of us will say that. Why? Because we want to have a sense of value. We want to say, oh, okay, well, I brought so much value. Yes, you did. But here's the thing. You didn't do a good job. Because any place of influence that you have should not be falling apart when you leave. Otherwise, you're not leading. You should be building up people. And yes, of course, this takes time and it's only specific people. But that should be the goal for anything. Is that when you leave, that place should run without you. Now, we don't like that because we want to, you know, our, our self, self wants to be acknowledged and say, oh, you see how great I am. When I leave, the whole place falls apart. No, you're doing just a bad job of leading and organizing. So your, your, your goal should be that, first of all, when you leave a place, you're left in a better place than what you found it. And secondly, the people that you're leading, in whichever context, they are going further than what you have. It's called succession. And so we should have the same. Jesus stated that His desire for us was to do greater things. Jesus, God Himself, said, You will do greater things than me. Now, if He was a selfish leader, you'll say, Yeah, watch when I leave. Look what's going to happen to you when I leave. I'm going to fall apart. And we would. But He is a good God. He is a God of love. So He says, No, I have to leave. I have to leave so that one greater than me come, can with, come within you and you will do greater things than these. God has called you to do greater things than what Jesus did. And so that should be our heart when we lead people. Philippians 4.8. As I close with this scripture. Philippians 4.8. For the rest, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is worthy... I've got completely different uh, translations. It's fine. Summing it all up, friends, I say to you, do the best by fulfilling your mouth with, and meditating on things that are true, that are noble, that are reputable, that are authentic, that are compelling, that are gracious. The best and not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to 
curse. Next, is the next slide? No. Is that it? Okay, cool. Sorry, guys. We can come back. Thank you. So what do we need to do? This is the Bible, the, the scripture that tells us we need to fill our minds with what? Things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic. Things that are compelling. Things that are gracious. Basically, in the simple terms, think on those things that are the best and not the worst. Think on those things that are beautiful and not ugly. And think on those things that are to be praised and not things to be cursed. So what does this have to leading with people? Well, this should be our, our mind to the, thing, to the people that we are leading. So it says, not only should you fill your own mind of your own life with things that are good, things that are beautiful, things that are compelling, things that are gracious, but you should be thinking of those that you are leading in the same context. So you should be thinking on those people that are leading. You should be thinking of them, only those things that are true, those things that are noble, those things that are reputable, those things that are authentic, compelling, gracious. Think on the best things of the people that you are leading and not the worst. Think on the things that are beautiful and not those things that are ugly of those people. Think on those things that are to be praised of those people, not the things that are cursed. How many of us swap that around? How many of us have the mindset of the people that we're leading or relationships that we have and we're looking at them and we are looking at the ugly things? And we're looking at the things that are the worst. And we're looking at the things that are to be cursed. But the Word tells us, no, you need to flip that around. Now, do you gloss over those things? No. You, the only way that you will understand what is ugly and what is beautiful is when you see both. Right? The only reason why you, so, you understand someone's character trait to be beautiful because you see the ugly part of them. So we don't just gloss over it. We recognize it, but we choose to focus on the things that are best and the things that are beautiful and the things that are of, of, of praiseworthiness. Because here's the thing. If you, if you don't do that, you will never have a good relationship. And this church won't exist. Because all we will ever see is, is, is the, the failures and the shortcomings of the people around us. You will see the ugliness in me, and I'll see the ugliness in you. I'll see the things that are the worst of you, and, I'll, and you'll see the worst of me. Yeah, I will see the things that are supposed to be cursed, and you'll do the same. But we make a choice to, look, to, to see and focus ourselves on things that are the best, on things that are beautiful, the things that are to be praiseworthy. Now, we, we had this example years ago. And there was, a, there was a preacher or something and, and they came together and, and there was a group of preachers and, and um, the one came to and said, yeah, you know, you know, what do you think about that guy? You know, and nobody really liked that, that, that person. You know, and the, the, they were obviously when someone comes and says, yeah, what, what do you think of them? Obviously they're trying to get you to engage with them in, a, in, in the worst possible conversation. The ugly and the, and the worst things. So the other pastor says to him, well, he has nice shoes. What was he trying to use? Like, I'm going to, even if I have to find 
the fact, the one thing that's good about it, the fact that he has nice shoes, I'm going to find something about that person because I do not want to get into a place where I'm cursing them. I don't want to get to a place where I'm, where I'm looking, focusing on the ugly. So if I have to find, well, at least he has nice shoes, then I'm going to say he has nice shoes. And that should be our approach to people. Instead of slandering them and cursing them and telling them how bad. Now, obviously, when you're leading people, you need to understand what are the shortcomings. But that should never be the focus. It should be, look, there's a shortcoming and how do we help them and challenge them to move past it. But, you know, our attitude to one another should be, well, at least she has nice shoes. You know, if, if we have to get to that point, then at least we are finding something that is praiseworthy. Something that's good, then something that's beautiful. And that, that's how we should be, you know, working towards one another. So when, when you're dealing with people and encouraging people, never only focus on bad things. Last, last slide. So we don't carry grudges because God does not carry grudges towards us. We don't carry grudges. What does that mean? Is that you don't have a file of the bad things that people have done to you. That every time you have, you, have, you have a fight, you bring out the file and you say, Hey, but in 3rd of December 20, uh, 20, 2012, you did this and this and this and this and this. No, God, when God forgives us, God says, I, I forgive you and I, I, I throw your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. The things that you have done wrong towards me, God says, I forgive that. And it should be the same way. Anytime you have reconciliation with people, it's as if that thing never happened. If you in, in, you know, in marriage or whatever the case is, you don't bring now files from five years ago. You always do this. You always do this should not be in your vocabulary. But you know, three weeks ago you did this. You don't do that. Why? Because God has placed someone in your life to enhance your life. And if, if they want that to enhance your life, well then why did you marry them in the first place? Because they're there to enhance your life. Right? Example is, how, do you, how does a diamond, how does a diamond uh, 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 shine the brightest? When you polish it. And so both of you in a marriage need some polishing at a certain time. So is it the diamond's fault that's not shining or is it the, the person that's not polishing the diamond's fault that the diamond isn't shining? We don't carry grudges. In a context of a church, in the context of a family, you work through those things and I've said this before, you fight not for the sake of fighting, you fight to find a solution. Whenever you're fighting, the moment you start going off and you forget what you're actually fighting about, you've gone way off course. Now you're just venting and, and taking out your frustration on the other person. Now it's no longer a fight. Now it's just a venting session. If you're going to fight, you're going to fight for a solution. What's the issue? We have a disagreement. What's the way forward? How, would, how do we go forward? It's the same thing with any relationship. You want to move the relationship forward. And so you don't carry grudges. You figure out what the, what the issue is. You find the solution and you go forward. We trust that this message has blessed you. We would like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. at our Easter's campus.